This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Wednesday, August 18th. The Cubs and Reds wrapping up a three-game set in Cincinnati ahead of an off day on Thursday. So hopefully this podcast finds you enjoying your Thursday, a day uh, that is free of Cubs baseball. But Brendan, the streak is over. The Cubs have won a baseball game. In fact, if you can believe it, get this, they won two in a row. Two in a row, Corey. Yes. Two. So the Reds Unreal. fighting for a wild card spot, and you would have thought uh, that this was a nice little schedule gift for them, getting the Cubs in the middle of another lengthy losing streak. But this uh, this band of Cubs comes together for these final two games, uh, winning a close one on Tuesday, and then uh, a pretty easy one, a bit of a blowout on Wednesday to take two of three here, and uh, the losing streak ends at 12, and now the winning streak sits at two. So we do have a good bit of stuff to talk about. Some some new faces on the team that have joined us, checking in on some of the guys that we've been excited about, and checking in on just how some of the guys are doing that uh, maybe we have not been as excited about. So a lot uh, going on in this series. Uh, as we've been doing kind of lately, not going to delve too deeply into a recap of these games, uh, especially the game on Monday. That was a 14-5 to uh, Reds win. The Reds putting up eight runs in that seventh inning, kind of getting away from the Cubs. Uh, but do want to talk about some of the individual performances, and that does start on Monday. And I, I figure we can just jump in here, Brendan, rather than uh, riffing too much on anything else, because I think one of the most important things that we've been paying attention to in this recent stretch is someone like Justin Steele, who gets the start in the game on Monday. He did not factor in, really, to the Reds ending up with 14 runs. That's why I mentioned that that big eight spot was in the seventh, and Justin was long since out of the game. So he goes four innings, five hits, uh, two earned runs, three walks, and five strikeouts. So both of those numbers higher than his first start, only four innings. This was on 82 pitches. And really, I, I figured we would just jump into this here, Brendan, because yeah. just I, I, I want to have you take us through what we saw in this one. Obviously, kind of a, a different stat line for Steele with, with the walks and obviously more strikeouts than he had in his first start against the Brewers. And it seemed clear in watching and, of course, following along with everybody on social media that this was a pretty different game plan that we saw from Justin Steele here in his second start with the Cubs. So what did you see? What did you like? What did you not like? And and where does that kind of take us for start number three? Like, what do you, like, I'm going to throw it back to you. What do you want out of Steele? Like, you're going into the offseason, right? And you're trying to piece together this starting rotation if I tell you that Steele is going to finish the year with, let's say, a K per nine of 8.5 and a walk per nine of 4.5, are you cool with that? Do you want to see better? I mean, of course you want to see better numbers, but do you accept that going into 2022 with the idea that he's going to be like a fourth or fifth starter option? Or do you need more confidence that he can be a legitimate number three guy? No, I think the the latter scenario is fine with me. I, I think getting okay. through this month and a half, you know, especially for a guy that has, he's been up at the major league level, he's been down at the lower levels, he's been a reliever, now, you know, trying to be a starter. So I think going through all of that, as long as he's in a place where he's able to get himself stretched out, maybe be a little more efficient with those pitches, show you that he can, you know, deliver a six or seven inning start at some point, 
and mm-hmm. just give you the optimism that yes, like this guy has the pieces to be successful as a starter, and now you spend this off season and spring training, kind of trying to refine that and and hopefully hitting whatever his ceiling might be. Um, but right. I, d- I definitely am not looking for him in this. You know, it's going to be basically like two months that he's going to be a major league starter here. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not looking to be like blown away, right? Like just give me the 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 foundation of a guy who you you can envision in that role. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I asked that just because as we go into the offseason, we're going to have to piece together this rotation. So my thinking is if we go out and sign a few guys, are you comfortable giving Steele like the lockdown slot in the rotation with those types of numbers? Or do you go into the year kind of like how they've treated Alec Mills in years past as, all right, here's the fifth spot, but you're more likely to come out of the rotation in a swing type role. So that's why I was kind of asking that. And for me, like, I don't know where I stand with that. If he ends the year showing command issues is maybe not the right word, but just still ironing out some sequencing and command. If I want to compete for 2022, am I going to staple in his name in the rotation with those numbers? I'm I'm not sure yet. That being said, like, I think he has really intriguing stuff. And I think he can get to the point to even convince like me and other fans that even with some of these command issues, if he's still showcasing some whiffable stuff, I'm cool going into the year with him as like the fifth option. And the Cubs right now have so much uh, prospects value that you may be able to improve your rotation as the year goes on. That's that's a discussion for a different day. But I just bring this up because I'm trying to piece together what I'm looking at right now. And what I'm looking at in Justin Steele's first start is a very different Justin Steele in this most recent start against the Reds. And the difference is in pitch usage and whiffs. So in Steele's first start... He threw mostly sinkers, and he threw mostly sinkers up in the zone, and that led to really good command and and not many balls thrown and only only one walk, but not many strikeouts, right? So in this outing against the Reds, he threw not mostly sinkers. He only threw a sinker in 13% of his 82 pitches. What he did do that's different was throw more four-seamers. He threw a four-seamer in 43% of his pitches, a total number of 35 four-seamers. And then on the other hand, he threw 24 sliders that made up 29% of his entire pitch usage. So that looked more like what you saw from Steele out of the bullpen. He was mostly a four-seam sinker guy out of the bullpen. He sprinkled in a few curves here and there, but... In this outing, that was what he that's, that he looked like a bullpen guy, uh, and he did show curveballs. He did show sinkers, like I said. He did show changeups. He threw three changeups in eighty-two pitches, and he threw nine curveballs in eighty-two pitches. So he still was able to throw five overall pitches. He was just more heavy on top with that four seam and that slider. But he got whiffs. He got a ton of whiffs. So he got 13 overall whiffs. Five of those came from the four seam. Four of those came from the slider. Two of those came from the sinker. And then two of those came from the curveball. So going with a more heavy fastball repertoire did lead to more whiffs, but it also did lead to more walks. Um, It's kind of a push-pull type mechanism. Like, What are you comfortable with sacrificing from a command point of view to get more whiffs? And in this type of sample if you just project what you would see going forward he's likely with his type of repertoire going to walk around four guys per nine innings just that's just how it is he walked 4.3 guys per nine innings in triple a and then even out of the bullpen this year he's walked 4.4 guys per nine innings so that's that's the game plan so it seems to me from looking at this that you can take away a few different interpretations the first one is he's capable of getting weaker contact and limiting the walks based on his first start with the Cubs. He was not walking, guys. He did so by throwing heavy sinkers. His second interpretation is, well, he can actually get whiffs if he throws more four seams and sliders, but that's going to come with more risk of walking, guys. So 
he's capable of doing both. Now, which one is more likely going to be stable that gives him more success? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. And I think that's what you're going to be looking at as the year goes along. And he has, again, probably six to seven more starts left in the season to determine that. I think it's it's not that many starts, but it's enough to at least kind of give you an idea of what to expect in this offseason. And then he continues to work on stuff in the offseason and during sprint training next year. I guess where I stand right now is he has good stuff, right? He has good stuff. He's pitching at the major league level. He's going to get an opportunity here. And I I do like how he's, in an extreme way, changing things up. You saw a very different steal in this most recent start than that first start. And that signals to me that they're working on stuff, actively working on stuff, which suggests that by the end of the year, you get you may get a completely different version of steel that we're not projecting at this point. Yeah, so uh, that was, what did we decide to call that? Brendan's Laboratory or Brendan's Pitch no, Lab, don't, whatever don't we want to. Uh, Brendan's Love Letter to Tommy Hadovy, whatever we want to call that that segment. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I this was interesting because as you alluded to, this was a, a very different plan of attack than we saw in that game against the Brewers. The results were different. And it's going to be interesting, you know, to see going forward how they piece it all together. I'm sure that there were things that they liked in that first start against the Brewers and things they didn't like about the way that they they went about things, sequence things, etc. And I'm sure the same could be said about this outing against the Reds. So it's going to be uh, pretty interesting to see how they put things together and, and what they kind of envision as the best plan of attack for him going forward. But I'm intrigued. It, it's it's at least something to be digging into in these in these games uh, where the results are not necessarily the most important thing in the world. And I'm just fascinated, I guess, by where the Cubs are and just trying to find themselves uh, guys that can play roles for 2022. And, you know, Steele is, as we've been talking about, one of those guys where you're not really sure what that is. You're not even really sure exactly what you'd want it to be, right? Like realistically or otherwise. But uh, it's going to be fun, I think, and interesting to follow for this uh, month and a half to see how he continues to develop and and where we all feel at the end of the season, you know, like I, I think that's going to be a, a pretty wide range of options, at least at this point. Um, but hopefully we're all at least in a place where we feel like he's going to be a significant contributor come 2022. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're going to see Keegan Thompson here soon, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even this Saturday. Like I feel if I were to project which one is more likely to the rotation, I would say Steele at this point. So like my thinking right now, for better or for worse, and I've already done it, I put more emotional stock in Steele as a starter, like actually stapling his name into the rotation for 2022. I don't know where that is, as a, as a number four spot or number five right. spot, but it feels if the Cubs are going to be successful like they're not going to go out and spend money on three different pitchers. Like I don't, I don't think that being is is I don't think that's a realistic option for them. So I need Steele to be a guy going into this offseason. Like in my mind I need that. And so with 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 Thompson, maybe we'll get into him here. I feel like Steele being a lefty, he has the the velocity, which by the way we didn't mention this. His velo was like sitting 94 and a half miles per hour out of the out of the rotation, out of out of that last start. That that is that is huge. That's what he set at as a reliever. So if he's able to to cement himself in that role, me as a fan, that gives me so much more confidence into next season. So I need Steele to be good. For Thompson, you know, you you saw what he's capable of as a swing guy, and maybe he can continue to adapt. But I just have more, I I have more uh, optimism. That's not the right word. I I I feel as if it's more interesting, more likely that steel stuff can play out in the rotation, and I need that to happen, Corey. Like I just do. Yeah, I I mean, you know, part of the thing with guys like Steele and and Thompson is it once again, depends on what exactly the Cubs' plans are in 2022. I think especially when you're talking about the rotation, 
if they're going to spend even some money on on short-term deals, right, to upgrade the top portion of that rotation to go along with Kyle Hendricks, you know, you're it's a lot easier to be excited about guys like Steele and Thompson at the moment because then you're really just hoping that one of those guys sort of takes that next step, hits that ceiling, and plays themselves into the the top portion of the rotation and but but going into the year maybe that pressure isn't there kind of a different discussion if the Cubs are not going to be spending any money and you might be relying on these guys uh, plus Al Zlai or Alec Mills whoever to kind of just make up the rotation right then then it sort of turns more to well you know now you're kind of hoping that one of these guys is uh turning into a top starter and the success of the team I guess uh if if that mattered at that point would sort of depend on that so that's something we can't really answer but hopefully it's the former and you're looking at these guys to sort of just be I don't want to say like pleasant surprises but they they just wouldn't have too much of a burden on them and if they really succeeded that would only mean that the team was was doing that much better but the the rotation wouldn't necessarily be hinging on whether or not these guys right. are successful but what you alluded to uh it I, I don't think this was made official at least we're recording this at about 8 10 central time in chicago on wednesday beat writers i think it was russ dorsey from the sun times was uh All of them were, reporting yeah. that uh they were hearing that Keegan Thompson could be brought up as early as Saturday to start that game. We knew that this was going to happen, so it's not like this, uh, whether we have official confirmation or not, whether it ends up being Saturday or not, like Thompson's going to be up soon. The whole point was to stretch him out, like he's on this this sort of same trajectory as Justin Steele is. So we'll, we'll have uh, another set of performances to sink our teeth into and kind of see how Thompson does in doing this and similar to Steele. Like we've seen him have some success at the major league level. We've seen him be able to pitch to and get out major league hitters. And now it's uh, sort of a different product, uh, excuse me, project to have him start. Can he get that length? How many times can he go through the order in facing the same hitters? How do they put the pitches together, sequence things, etc.? So that'll be fun. It's it's it it's fun, I think, to have those starts and to be able to be optimistic and also kind of, I guess, inquisitive as to what these guys are doing and how they're going about it. Yeah, and and so just not to get ahead of ourselves here, but this this is what I'm doing right now in my mind. If you go into 2022 and you have Hendricks is going to be there, he's locked down. And I said it today. I was just thinking about it. I underappreciate Hendricks. I, I never worry about the guy, and I appreciate that the most about him. He's in the rotation. Alzali in the rotation. You're assuming pitch limits. There's going to be none with Alzali. And I know he's still kind of a high-risk guy right now, which is fine, but you can see in like a perfect world him being a really formidable guy in this rotation. So he's in there, right? If Steele can get in there and at least showcase like maybe a FIP around four or so with like a potential range close to 3.5, that's a big deal. And now you look at that, that free agent market. Corey, I deserve this. I deserve Kevin Gossman on this team. I've been on Kevin Gossman for like eight years, seven years. I need Kevin Gossman on this team. And right now on the year, he has an ERA of 2.4, a FIP of of 3.3. His K per nine is almost 11. His walk per nine is under three. You put Kevin Gossman on this team with Hendricks, with the potential of Azulay, with the potential of Steele, and then you maybe supplement with like a mid-tier free agent starting pitcher as well. You see this rotation all of a sudden having a really high ceiling with room to improve with that quote-unquote prospect currency, even though I absolutely hate that term. But you can see this rotation turning into a pretty big plus for this team. And for me, it's dependent on knowing with some degree of confidence what you have in Steele, with some degree of confidence what you have in Thompson. And with Alzali, I already have it. Like I already I already feel like we know what to expect. And him coming back from injury with the lefties, that's that's like the cherry on top at this point. But I think it's I think he's gonna work through that. I really do. And so do you do you see what I'm saying? It's like, oh man, if you just get an idea with Steele and Thompson and you like make a little bit of a splash with Gossman, which again I deserve it. Just 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 for me alone. This rotation does have potential here, Corey. Like the turnaround time, and I know a lot 
needs to go right, and there's a lot of uncertainties right now, but you you can see the turnaround time for 2022 is maybe not as crazy as you think. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and I'm, again, once again, glad that this is how the Cubs are spending this time, right? I mean, you know, like, once once you trade guys and things like that, your options are somewhat limited, but it's— <laughs> it, no other choice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's—well, I mean, you know, obviously the, the Padres are in a different spot, but it does sort of make you look at that situation where— they sign Jake Arrieta and bring him in and everybody's first question is like you guys don't have anybody in your minor league system that you could have tried to like bring up and and take an opportunity and and see what they have and again it's it's this is a not an apples to apples comparison the two teams are in very different spots at the moment but I am just glad that the Cubs do have these guys and they did identify these guys who had had success for them in the bullpen in the early portion of 2021 and said, hey, like, let's give this a try. Like, let's see what we have here. Let's use this time productively. And we believe in these guys and we believe that they can do this and and play a role for us. So let's see what they got. So along those lines, we do have uh, sort of a, a similar line of thinking now on the offensive side for a while now, probably. If you've been following the prospect guys, you've been hearing this name relentlessly. If you've been listening to us, I feel like I've brought it up a lot because it just seemed like something that was destined to happen. Uh, but finally, in in this series in Cincinnati, the Cubs do bring up outfielder Michael Hermosillo, uh, who was killing it in AAA. He had an OPS over a thousand, had hit I think ten or so home runs, and had gotten hurt. Um, maybe like a month ago, and that kind of derailed the, the 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 process. It seemed he was, you know, really on the cusp of being called up. Got himself healthy, continued to hit when he came back, and here he is on the Chicago Cubs. He gets in the game on Tuesday, and then gets his first start on Wednesday. In the game on Wednesday, he goes one for three with uh, a home run. So his first uh, home run for the Cubs, and this I'm I'm into this one Brendan like obviously I've been mentioning his name a lot because he was doing so well in AAA and he fit that bill of a guy who you know you need people to throw out in the outfield might as well give this guy a shot because he's killing the ball right but then you kind of dig into it a little more and you know he's only 26 years old so he is yeah. younger than Ian Happ is at this moment. You know, remember Ian Happ turned 27, I think, like a week ago. So this is a guy who's been in different organizations, you know, had some cups of coffee, right, at the major league level, whatever. But he's an interesting guy, and he's not in the same vein as some of these other guys who were, you know, 30-plus or whatever. He's a young-ish kind of guy, and I've been waiting for this, and it was cool to see him hit the home run. I'm glad that he's getting this opportunity. David Ross said uh, that he certainly envisions him getting a lot of starts in center field uh, when a lefty is on the mound, because I think Ortega has struggled against left-handed pitchers, uh, but it was Tyler Malley on Wednesday, who is a righty. So I'm just glad to see him uh, getting out there. Ortega was in in center, so uh, Hermosillo was in right against a righty, and then I think maybe going forward it'll be Hermosillo getting in there for Ortega when a lefty is on the mound, because in Iowa, uh, Michael was mostly split neutral, whereas Ortega was, you know, is a pretty drastic uh, righty-lefty splits guy. So I'm into this, and then you read Jordan Bastian over at Cubs.com, friend of the podcast, had a really nice article on Hermosillo talking about how he used to go to Cubs games. There's a really great picture that circulated on social media today of him in a Sammy Sosa shirt, a Cubs hat, at Wrigley, talked about how he went to games at Wrigley through his childhood and even continued to do that when he was a minor leaguer in the Angels system. And, you know, just talked about how he envisioned this. He always wanted to play for the Cubs and how surreal it was getting this opportunity not only to play for the Cubs, but feeling that when he was rounding the bases on Wednesday after hitting home run for the Chicago Cubs. And he said, 
after the game, quote, it's definitely crazy. I'm just trying to soak it all in, enjoy it. I would like to show that I can be here every day. So I'm just trying to focus on that more than anything. But obviously, sitting back right now, it's awesome just to think about hitting a home run in a Cubs uniform, being able to be part of a win. It's a great story. It's a great story. He was killing the ball in the minors and much like we're talking about with Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, you just want to keep giving these guys opportunities, right? Like, do I expect the Cubs to go into next year with super defined, like, everyday roles for him and Ortega and Wisdom and Schwindel and some of these other guys that have been getting an opportunity and performing at, at, at you know, to, to different degrees? No, not necessarily, right? But just try as many of these things as you possibly can. And if you get a couple of, even if it's bench guys, right? Like, it's all worth it. You've got the time. These guys are performing. Keep doing this and giving them a shot. But I'm, I'm glad Hermosillo's here. I'm glad he hit the home run. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to paying attention to what he's doing for the rest of this season. Well, I didn't know he had that Cubs story as his background. That that's that's pretty cool. I mean, imagine growing up as a Cubs fan and, and like playing for the team as as a twenty six year old. That's that's going to be a surreal experience for him. Uh, he's an interesting guy. I don't know what to think about him. So Fangraphs rates his entire like skill set on the eighty scale. I'm I'm going to go through it. So his best trait by Fangraphs is a sixty five out of eighty. That's really fast. Now, if we look at the max speed rate on fan graphs from a percentile perspective he peaked over 90 percent in 2018 and only like 60 plate appearances with the angels that's really fast i also did not know he was that fast and the rest of his traits his fielding 55 out of 80 throwing 50 out of 80 and then it gets a little bit worse for his offense so his power his raw power they rate him as 50 out of 80 that's league average right 50s league average game power 45 all right, so now a little bit below league average. Hit tool, 45. Again, a little bit below league average. Currently, they have him at 40 on hit and game power as like his current number with 45 being potential. And that kind of aligns what you see from his overall numbers. So in AAA, which I think is very impressive, he had 10 home runs in 186 plate appearances, but he struck out in 26% of his plate appearances. Granted, he did walk in 14% of those plate appearances. So that's that's good to see. And you did not see those similar high walk rates in his previous stints. So when he was up with the bigs in 2019 and 2020, uh, mostly 20, 2019, he, he walked around a 10% rate, I guess only 46 plate appearances, but in 2019 in AAA with, with Anaheim, he only walked in 8% of his plate appearances. So he increased his walk rate with the AAA Cubs in those two years by almost double. That, that that signals something changed, something in terms of his um, mechanics, plate approach, something clicked perhaps, where he's walking more in a comparable sample at a comparable level within two years. So that's what I'm looking at as something that's different because everything else from like a power perspective, yeah, he's hitting more home runs this year, but he's still capable of, hit, of hitting home runs like with Anaheim and AAA. He still had 15 homers and under 300 plate appearances and um that suggests that the power has always kind of been there. It's just the question with him is, can he make enough contact to offset some of the underlying whiff problems, which he still has been displaying in AAA? And maybe the offset is walking more or maybe even hitting more home runs. And we're going to see that at the big league level. And to your point, Corey, it's like, uh, like, you're, like, do you want to find roles for these guys? In an ideal world, I want to find roles for anyone. So when I look at watching, like when I watch Patrick Wisdom or Hamrasio or Rafael Ortega, I'm thinking, what is your role for 2022? And for Ortega, if it's a fourth or fifth outfielder guy, so be it. For Hamrasio, if it's the same thing, so be it. For Wisdom, so be it. But ideally, man, like ideally, it'd be pretty cool to have an idea if they can they can start, if they can be a major contributor to this team. And even if that's like the David Bodie projection of like 400 to 450 plate appearances a year for Wisdom or Hermosillo, that would be a pretty big deal for my psyche going into the offseason. And the way I look at it now, maybe we'll get into it, like I'm more interested in watching Hermosillo than, than Hap. And I know Hap's looked better lately, but... I'm kind of getting to the point with Hap that 
we've seen in multiple examples that he has problems adjusting at an efficient rate. And maybe he's adjusting now, but like he just has a history of that. So back with Hermosillo, like what does he have? Is this power legit? How fast is he? Is his defense that good? Does his speed translate to good defense out there in center field or, or in the corners? Like that's what I'm curious about. And the fact that he is 26 coming off of that COVID year, which it's hard to really accurately uh, project what these younger mid-20 guys can actually produce, he he's a relatively young guy that might have just been missed with the Angels. And to get this opportunity with the Cubs, I want him playing every single day, literally in the lineup every single day. I don't care where you put him, if it's in right field center, every single day. If you got to bench Hayward to do it, whatever, I don't right. care. So he, so that's that's my thinking. Like even more than uh, Frank Schwindel, who's been killing it. Like I think at this point, Schwindel's going to be playing almost every day. But if I had to make, if I had to pick, like if you want Hap to play to see what he has, all right, Hap, you go to first base because I need to see Hermosillo in that lineup every single day, Corey. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode. I think it was one of the last points that I made in that I know, you know, you want to put these guys in in matchups that they can succeed in, uh, and some of these guys that's not necessarily going to be playing every day. But while you've got these guys up, I think the lineup on Wednesday was a bit more reflective of what I'm interested in, right? Uh, Save for maybe Matt Duffy at third base, but, you know, that might have just been Wisdom getting a day off, whatever. Wisdom's been playing a lot. I'm not not concerned about whether they're giving Wisdom a fair shake, right? They they are. Um, But yeah, like just give me these guys, you know. And I, if if you're concerned, like if I I know what Hayward's contract status is, I get that. We've talked about this a million times, right? But you're not going to see anything in the last month of the season that is going to drastically alter your opinion on what he's bringing on the baseball field. Either you, you know, are going to continue to do this and eat the money, whatever fine, but you're not going to learn anything about him as a player at this point in a month of baseball, right? But you can learn a lot from these other guys. And I'm glad to see Hermosillo getting this opportunity, and I'm with you. He should be out there as much as possible. Same with Ortega, same with Hap, same with Schwindel, however you have to maneuver these things, right? And if that means Hayward doesn't play, if that means guys like Matt Duffy don't play, that's what it should be. You know, you've got like, you know, Romine at at short who's been out there. Like it should be Alcantara every day. And I know that he's struggled and I know he had a bad uh, defensive game in one of those games in Miami, but so what, right? You're not going to go into next year with Andrew Romine as a starting infielder. You might have a role (laughs) for Alcantara. And it's the same with these, these outfield situations. Like go with the guys who you don't know anything about. Not anything, but you don't have a defined opinion on. You know who Hayward is, right? And even someone like David Bodie. Like at this point, he's been in the league long enough. He's gotten plenty of opportunities. You have an idea of what's going on there, right? With some of these other guys, you don't know. Schwindel is a really great example of this. We might as well just transition to talking about him and Hap a little bit. Um, well, can we talk this? I want to just, before you do sure. so though, I think you bringing up Bodie. Like he's he's a weird guy in that. Do we know enough about him? Well, I mean, I just, I'm being I just serious here. That I meant it, putting him in the same box as like Hayward and and even some uh, in like that's yeah. not necessarily. But fair. is that fair though? Is it fair to put no, him in the same box? No, but I I just mean at this point, like even if Bodie went on a tear for a month, are you going into yeah. the year with him as your starting second baseman? He's got a six. I don't know. Yes, right now. I listen. I know we've had co- like conversations off the air about this. I don't know. Like well, this, do, this is my thing. The answer is no. Okay. That, I mean, that's fair, right? I'm not saying you're wrong. I, like I'm, I'm more of the I don't like I don't know what we have in Bodie right now. And this, like, here's my thinking with this. I don't know if it makes sense or not. But if we look at what Bodie's doing this year, one, you have to look at that injury, and that can that that is that is something to weigh against him. I think that's that's a net negative for him and projecting his future, but. In his time when he's played, which is almost 200, it is 250 play appearances at this point, his strikeout rate has massively improved. He's better than league average in striking out. 
it's 21%. His career rate before that was almost 28%. So he's made improvements there, and he still hit seven homers in that sample. The doubles aren't there or anything, but like it's not this massive power sacrifice to be making more contact. So he's shown the ability to make more contact, and he's swinging at fewer pitches outside the strike zone than your average guy. So I'm thinking with Bodie, okay, well, you are showing that you can adjust. And I, I know like the expected numbers in this plate appearance sample is, is not the most accurate telltale, but it's still like league average, right? So I'm so all this is to say is like I think you have to throw Bodie in that mix. I don't know That's where fine. you play him, right? I don't I really don't know where you play him, but I don't know. Like I'm thinking about Schwindel and it's it's kind of tough. It's it's kind of tough. And I think about Schwindel because, okay, maybe you put Bodie at third base and Wisdom at first base, but well, then where does Schwindel go? Uh, how confident are you with Schwindel being like a contributor for next year? I don't know. He's not as flexible defensively as anyone else, right? So maybe like Bodie should take away some plate appearances. I don't know. I just want to bring up Bodie because I don't think it's fair to put him in that bucket. Like, no, I think... I, and I, I didn't mean to put, like, again, and this isn't, this isn't really meant to even turn into a like, let's rag on Jason Hayward segment. It, it, it's just the thing with Hayward is he's, he's an older guy who has not performed at the level you want for years. You shouldn't be planning on him being a starter, a significant contributor, no. right? So play other guys who you're trying to learn things about. So it's not fair to put Bodie in that same respect. But I guess for me right now, I don't know if they're going to have a DH in the NL next year. They're going to have to figure that out in the CBA negotiations that sort of, mm-hmm. you know, started in in a, in a way on Wednesday with some uh, early figures being exchanged, talk of salary floors and things like that already going on. But whether whether they do or not like you're you already know you're going to be going into the year with Nico having a role with Nick Madrigal having a role right. and those are likely right, exactly. going to take up part of part of if not all of your middle infield right unless they yeah. have a different vision for where one of those guys is going to play and if i'm looking at okay third base like that should be wisdom if if you're going to look agree. at someone i my my point was just that I I would rather see some of these other guys than worrying about Bodie as much. Um, well, I'm not I'm not worrying about Bodie. And, and if I were to go into the season right now, Corey, like if I have to pick, and I'm not super confident in this opinion, but if I had to pick, I would pick Sergio Alcantara over Bodie just be, just from the defensive versatility mm-hmm. point of view, right? Having shortstop, third base, and second base. So I'm not I'm not. This is me not defending Bodie. This is me at least posing yeah. the idea that it's a possibility. No, that's that's, that's fair. But like when Nico comes yeah. back, he was doing some work, you know, running in the outfield. So he's you know hoping to to get back out there and get some playing time. Like he should be out there as much as possible, and I'd be running Alcantara out there as much as possible. And if that means right. Bodie doesn't play all the time or he has to move around whatever like he should be the one that they're not as worried about that's just that's just my opinion but like yeah and then but the, then it gets to the point where it's like all right and that's why i brought up schwindel it's like all right well if that's the case then do you want to give more i'm being serious here do you want to give more at best to schwindel or bodie at the moment right? schwindel man like i i and, See, and i don't know and about that's that not even, i don't know about that it's it, i'm serious i don't know about that i I, I hear you, right? Like, but I just think, you know, again, like Schwindel to me at the moment, first of all, I, you can't take him out of the lineup right now, right? The dude's killing them. No, I mean, he deserves right. it, 100%. But I think also, you know, he he represents one of those guys who I think you should just see what you have here, right? Especially if the DH is coming into play, he might be a guy who can just hit for you. And you read some of the stuff that some scouts and some guys that write about the game, like, you know, none of them necessarily thought he was going to be a star, but, but some of them, if you peruse them, they did kind of think maybe he was a guy who just was kind of lost in the shuffle in 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 the A's system and and wherever and there is some pretty interesting stuff there and so i would probably err on the side of let me see what this guy's got right like he's 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 killing the ball right now so like let's keep going with this let's see if there's something here and just to that point um he's got seven straight games with an extra base hit uh, and 11 extra base hits since August 5th, which is the most in Major League Baseball. Uh, Frank Schwindel <laughs> is who I'm talking about here. 
So, and, you know, you look at some of the the balls that he's hit, there are impressive swings in some of these at-bats, you know, getting his no hands doubt. in on, on heat on the inner portion of the plate and taking it out for home runs. Like, he, he's not just hitting meatballs necessarily. Like he's putting together some nice plate appearances and showing that he's got some some pretty interesting skills there. Now again, like this is what, 60 at-bats or plate appearances? This is a nothing sample. But that's the whole point of what they're doing here and really what the point when they claimed him from Oakland was in the first place. Like you identify someone that's interesting. You you have playing time opening up. Here you go, man. Like let's see what you got. For sure. So for sure. I I I I'm not sure how to properly rank all of these guys in terms of who is the most interesting to me, who I am most excited about, but I think similar to the way we're looking at the the pitching staff, I, I think you have a handful of these guys that even if you get to a place where you're like, this would be an interesting platoon in the outfield, right? Like I like Ortega hitting against righties and somebody else hitting against lefties, right? Or I like Let wisdom playing against lefties. Yeah, yeah, I like wisdom playing against these guys and whatever it is, right? Like that would be really valuable to this team. If you go into next year knowing, okay, Madrigal's playing somewhere, Nico's playing somewhere, Wilson Contreras is playing somewhere, and we've got a lot of other stuff to figure out, right? Like, there's a handful of guys here who are are really kind of taking this opportunity and running with it. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that they end up as starters or guys who are, you know, now future all-stars or anything like that, right? But you've got this time, and some of these guys are, are really showing you something here. Am I talking myself into, like, wanting to watch these games? Like, I'm being serious. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there talking about this. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's interesting. He's interesting. He's interesting. There's a lot of interesting guys here. And the team overall is like, it sucks right now. But, I mean, to have these conversations, like, oh, can we get this guy more playing time? Because we need to know more about him. I think that's interesting. And I'm just kind of settling on the the conclusion that Hayward cannot play baseball for this team right now. Like he just, he cannot be getting at-bats because if you want Frank Schwindel to get these at-bats, but you also want Ian Happ to get these at-bats and David Bode to get these at-bats, I don't see how you can play Hayward right now. And Schwindel does deserve these at-bats. I mean, his his numbers, if we're looking at it right now, his strikeout rate in 80 plate appearances, 20%, way better than league average. In AAA with Oakland, his strikeout rate was only 17% in 200 plate appearances with 16 homers. So yeah, he might be able to hit. And yeah, he's not like the most defensive, competent guy out there. But first base, DH, yeah, that might actually be interesting. And so I, I'm, I have the same degree of interest with him as maybe I do with Bodie, but I like Bodie's defensive versatility, and that's why I may like him a little bit more at this point. That's why I did bring it up. But maybe Bodie can go to left field and get some time. And I don't know, the more, like, Corey, the more I think about this, I don't know where you are, but I know Ian Happ has been playing better, but like, I'm losing interest in it, dude. Like, I'm sitting here thinking that I think Schwindel is more interesting than Ian Happ. And I think even Hermosillo is more interesting than Ian Happ right now. And this is all in the context, too, of looking at where Happ was in 2017 to where he is now. And I can't stop thinking with Hap that his sprint speed has gone down quite dramatically, like a tick and a half mile per hour slower than when he was when he debuted with his team. And I can't stop thinking about like the dramatic changes he's made that haven't really translated to results. And I can't stop thinking about his defense in center field because that means if he can't play defense in center, he has no home defensively, right? So am I going to gamble... And to contrast him and Schwindel now, am I going to gamble on two guys who have bad defenses? Which one am I going to do it on? Am I going to gamble on the guy who makes more contact with good power or gamble on the guy with that may make more that may get more home runs, but at the same time you massively risk a contact rate with all these whiffs? I don't know. I think I might take I I think I'm more interested in Schwindel. Well you don't you and, won't have to worry about know, Schwindel's defense because Rizzo's gonna come back and play first base. So Frank will just well, DH. you brought it up. Like uh, by the way, I did not bring that up. This is the first time you brought that uh, brought that up on this podcast. Like I not like you know I'm thinking about that though. Brought like, up I what really Anthony do, coming back? Yeah. Oh. Like I do I do I was just trying to piss you off, so 
Well, I, you're not pissing me okay. off because like I'm, I just think that's going to happen. I do. I'm sorry. I do. But do you, do you know what I'm trying to say here? With like, I'm trying. I'm trying to rank Ian Happ in this conversation, and maybe it's just bias. But I don't like. I'm like kind of sick of following the changes. Like I'm almost exhausted by following the changes with Happ, even though he's looked better. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get where you're coming from. I I, I think. Uh sick of maybe the wrong phrase i think frustrated is probably uh a, i'm exhausted a better i think exhausted is the yeah. right word to use it so right? it's at the very least we've seen a, a better ian happ over these last like 25 plus at bats so the last seven games he's got 26 at bats he's hit three home runs six rbis two walks against eight strikeouts and a slash line of 308 357 and 692 so that's uh, a good average and a good OPS very good and you know hit the game-winning home run in the game on Tuesday that put the Cubs up two to nothing they ended up winning that game two to one so at least you're you're seeing something better for him I still think his decision right is going to be one of the more fascinating ones for this front office um and we'll see where he ends the season, you know, but even with this recent stretch, he's still sitting at a, an, an OPS that is uh, sub 640. So that is not good with a 186 batting average and just 14 home runs on the but year. But he does look better lately. But though. he does look better. And I and yeah. I think the intriguing thing, at least for Hap, seeing these this last week or so of baseball, is that we he's been an inconsistent guy, right? He's been consistently inconsistent throughout his career, but the overall career line was pretty good. It's dipping a little bit, but even now, you know, still a career 780 OPS guy. Um, but what's in, what, what at least is nice over this last week or so is that you knew he, the, the dramatic turn that he had taken this year was extremely steep, Right, he went from a guy that had a career eight, you know, eight hundred OPS uh, with mad, you know, to below mad defense, right, whatever, some pop, etc., to a guy that was for a period like nearing a sub six hundred OPS, right. So that was just like so drastic and uh, aggressive that I I don't know what to make of him, and I'm not, I'm definitely, obviously not thrilled with how this year has gone for him. But it's at least nice to see because you just you knew like okay he's not all of a sudden this bad of a hitter because this is wildly bad and such a drastic downturn from where he'd been throughout his career that at the very least it's nice to see it trending in the other direction. I don't know what this next month and a half will hold for him, and I'm not really sure what the Cubs front office is going to do with the decision to either tender him a contract, non-tender him, etc. It's a confusing spot to be in, uh, but at least he looks better. But yeah, I mean, look, admittedly, like right now, I'm rather intrigued by Hermosillo. I've been, you know, again, yeah. I'm, I wasn't leading that charge. That was the prospect guys, Brian from Bleacher Nation, Greg from Growing Cubs, Greg from Ivy Futures. Like those guys have been the ones drawing everyone's attention to it. But my attention got drawn to it like months ago. And I'm just really intrigued to see what he has because those numbers were so eye-popping at AAA and he's only 26 years old. So I think that's where my most intriguing spot is, is with Hermosillo and someone like continuing to see what Patrick Wisdom is doing. But Hap is still 27 years old. So we're asking this question of a lot of guys. And I think that's ultimately what this is going to boil down to. You've got on any given day, the Cubs can be starting somewhere between six to eight guys who, you know, really, I guess six to seven, because you know who Wilson Contreras is and Robinson Chirinos is an older guy who you also, you know, kind of know what he is. And he's been quite good for the Cubs. So that might be something to consider uh, as a backup for next year. But the rest of the positions on a daily basis, the Cubs can be starting guys who you can be intrigued about what they're doing on a daily basis and whether or not they're able to factor in going forward. So I think it's ultimately going to boil down to you're not really going to be able to give everybody an opportunity because you have different guys in Madrigal, Nico, who are going to be getting jobs. You know that. And hopefully you're spending money on some guys to come in and 
up that stardom level in the offseason, whether it's certain guys coming back or new guys, whatever it is. So, so you can't be intrigued by all of these guys, right? And I guess that's what this last month and a half is going to help us figure out is who really stands out and who does the front office believe like, yes, we saw what we needed to. This guy's got a role. And with other guys, it's going to be the opposite answer. Like, no, I don't, I don't really think it's there. I don't think we should move forward with this. So are you with me though? Like you think Hermosillo is more intriguing than Hap at this point? Well, I think that's sort of easy. I mean, that might not be fair to Ian Hap. I don't think it's easy. Well, I I think it's it's... easy in a sense that you you just called up a guy who had an OPS of 1048 in AAA, (laughs) comparing that to a guy having the worst season of his career in the majors. I think it's very easy to be more excited about Michael Hermosillo at the moment than it is Ian Hap. Well, I bring that up just because unlike Hermosillo, Hap has that track record, right? I mean, you mentioned it. It's like, oh, this is an extreme in the other direction because of his track record. And so if you're trying to project for 2022, who's the more likely contributor? I think you can't ignore what Hap has done, right? And like the fact that he's doing well lately. So I'm playing like devil's advocate here. Again, I don't want to like misconstrue this. For for, for me, no, for better or for worse, whether I get it. I don't hate Ian Happ. I don't. I've kind of learned my lesson over... Dude, I've learned my lesson over the years, right? With Jason Hayward and Schwarber and following exhaustively all these changes. Like, at some point, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. I'm being I'm being serious. Well, and I, like, and I do think that, that do and not, not that we know that any of these guys are going to be able to provide that, but that, that does seem like something that we would all like this next core or this next set of Cubs teams to maybe be better at, and that is just being consistent, yeah. knowing what we're getting That's on all. a daily basis. That's all. And then when you look at Schwindel, honestly, I've like talked myself into him a little bit more as this podcast is going along, but you look at Schwindel's skill set, and you can't ignore that strikeout rate either. I mean, 20% is a big deal. That is well better than league average. And if it's anything like that 17% rate in AAA with that power, then yeah, sign me up. You're going to probably at least attenuate some of those values that we've been so accustomed to seeing over the years with guys like 27 plus percent strikeout rates. And Hap is in that category. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where I am. I feel like I'm going to be changing my opinion on, on a week-to-week basis, which kind of pinpoints the the uncertainty with this team. Right. But if I had to rank where I'm at right now, like, Hap is on the lower part of that list, dude. Like, I'm more interested in, in I'm more interested in Bodhi. I'm more interested in, uh, again, this is defensively motivated, but also that plate discipline are more interested in Alcantara. I'm more interested in wisdom, more interested in mostly every single person. And I hope Hap can change that, but I don't see that happening in this like remaining five, six weeks. So on that note, the the Cubs called up Adrian Sampson to get the start on Wednesday. Um, he'd bounced around. The Majors had been with the Rangers, uh, four innings for the Cubs, a, a solid enough start for sure. Um, but I wanted to read a quote from him after the game because I think it just really sums up what we've talked about today and and what we've talked about a lot with this situation for the Cubs in in sort of giving tryouts to guys or or giving uh, longer looks at guys who hadn't gotten that previously in their career, etc. And after the game, he said, quote, Right now, it's almost Game of Thrones-esque. We're being asked what kind of role we want to play in this organization going forward. It's ours for the taking. I really want this job, and I'm going to do everything I can to be successful. So obviously, that is a, a pretty unexpected quote from a guy who wants to be on a major league roster, right? Like, duh. But I do think it's it's just interesting hearing it from a player put in the context of what we've been talking about a lot, which is the players also understand, like, this is a, a proving ground of sorts on this roster right now on a daily basis. The front office is watching, the coaches are watching, and this is an opportunity where things are pretty open. We don't know what the Cubs are going to do in the offseason. We don't know what kind of expectations they're going to carry into 2022, and People are being given opportunities on this team on a daily basis to sort of carve out at least a a a at least a place 
in the planning or the discussions of what this team is going to look like next year. And so I just thought that was a good quote to kind of sum everything up that we've been talking about. Whether you're talking about Samson himself, who delivered the quote, or guys like Steele, Thompson, some of the relievers that we've seen, or any of these interesting offensive players that we've seen, they all know the same thing that we're watching on a daily basis, that this is an opportunity for everybody. There's no expectations for the Cubs on a daily basis, and we don't know what the future is going to bring. So go show Jed Hoyer and the front office something, and maybe it's your job. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, listen, you have so many opportunities for these guys to kind of take hold over, and it, it's, it's possible that a guy like Samson can make a name for himself, where you look at spring training and like, all right, well, you know what he has at the big league level. You, you have more information about him, so why not, right? Um, again, like, as we continue to go through these podcast episodes, I know the team is overall not going to win a lot of games, but there's still a lot of interesting storylines. I mean, I think just laying everything out with Schwindel and Happ and Hermosillo and like even Hayward and his playing time, like there's some interesting stuff going mm-hmm. on. All right. So uh, with that, let's preview this upcoming series against the Kansas City Royals. So Thursday, off day, you're listening to this today, no Cubs game. Friday, back at Wrigley, 1.20 p.m. start time. That Friday trademark afternoon game. We have Zach Davies pitching for the Cubs on the year. He's 6-9, a 5.0 flat ERA. He'll be facing KC's Brad Keller on the year. He's 7-12 with a 5.62 ERA. Saturday afternoon start time, 1.20 p.m. That's likely Keegan Thompson's game, but currently as of Wednesday evening, at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Time. No starter announced, so stay tuned for that. For KC, Chris Bubik is on the mound. He is 3-6 with a 5.09 ERA. And then to finish off this three-game set, we have uh, an afternoon start time on Sunday, 1.20 p.m. Alec Mills pitching for the Cubs. Alec this year, 5-5. Five and five. With a 4.19 ERA, we have Carlos Hernandez pitching for KC. Carlos Hernandez this season, 3-1, a 4.33 ERA. I think we kind of laid out what we're looking for. The the playing time situation will be fascinating to watch. But one note we did not really talk about, and we'll likely continue to follow it, is Patrick Wisdom. Recently, uh, the, the hard hit context going down a little bit, the expected Woba as of his like last 25 plate appearances is below uh, 300. So a little bit of a funk right there, but not enough of a sample size to be like, oh, what's going on there? But still monitor that. I'm interested in what Sergio Alcantara looks like. I love that defense. I love that arm. I think the play discipline is fascinating with that uh, chase rate being in the, potentially the top 90th percentile. I still want to see more with him. And then David Bodie's contact rate, 77%. Way better than his career rate. Better than league average by about three percentage points. So that's something to monitor. And then... Um, yeah, Hermosillo, man. I think that's kind of the more exciting trend to follow. That speed, that power, that athleticism, that potential defense out in the outfield. And all this is to say is we have storylines finally to follow. And I feel as if I'm kind of moving on from the trade deadline. So hopefully you guys are too. No, you're not. You liar. I know I'm not. You I know tweet I'm about not. Chris I'm Bryan trying. every night. I what a liar. I do, man. He just thinks he can get on this podcast and lie to all of you as if I'm you don't I'm trying. When I Twitter. say that loud. When I say it out loud, it helps me. It's like it's like when you vocalize your like anxiety. I'm man, finally getting over it. Like Brendan, you tweeted sad <laughs> at a Chris Bryan highlight yesterday. Like, at like one yesterday. in the morning. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, uh, I, look, uh, I I don't know what you guys expect from me on a daily basis on this podcast. Just know I'm not lying to you like Brendan just did. He's I'm fine. He's totally fine. You. Anyway, I don't know. I think that sums it up. I mean, I don't. I don't I'm not looking for anything uh, beyond what you are. If it, you know, if it in, is indeed Keegan Thompson, obviously dialing into that one, and just continuing to uh, see how these guys can do on the offensive level. I guess continuing to see if Frank Schwindel can stay as one of the hottest hitters in all of Major League Baseball, just like every single one of us expected. So other than that, I, I think that's what we have for you. It's 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 a weird time. We as we as we've noted to you guys before, Brennan and I have never covered this team when they haven't been good, um, and certainly not when they've been this bad. And so it's uh, unique, but 
it is, um, I don't want to say refreshing, because I, I just want the team to win. Yeah, I'd rather so not be refreshing, in this place. Corey. Right, it's not, it's not refreshing. <laughs> um, but it is nice to, there is some real stuff, as we've been talking about, to dig into and be excited about that is not uh, meaningless. It does have a lot of value as we go forward into whatever this next era of Cubs baseball is. And for as much as Jed and, and some of the other members of the organization talk about this not being a lengthy rebuild and talk about how they believe that they can be competing again quickly, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the stuff you're seeing in these games that we end up talking about informs a lot of that and can make that easier for Jed to deliver on or make it a bit harder for Jed to deliver on. So at the at the very least, it is interesting to, to watch these games and to kind of dig into some of these players. So um, hopefully you guys feel the same. As always, if you have other stuff uh, that you'd like us to discuss, you know, maybe more abstract stuff, etc., let us know on Twitter. Um, and as always, we thank you guys for your support and listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. We appreciate those five-star reviews on the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, positive reviews are always nice. And we will talk to you on Sunday after the Cubs finish up that series. Thank you again for listening and your support. And as always, go Cubs.